through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you I went wandering Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch the program on their television sets, they can go to www.hotm.tv and watch it live, streaming video from anywhere in the world. They can also get uh, our archived programs by going to hotm.tv. I was a born-again Mormon. The manuscript is available for free download, PDF form. Go to hotm.tv and you can have it in your hands in minutes. And how about a weekly verse-by-verse, never-denominational Bible study? Join us at campus every Sunday at either Utah State in Logan or uh, University of Utah here in Salt Lake City. Uh, Go to www.calvarycampus.com for more information. A few weeks ago, as I was heading out to come out to the studio to do uh, a show, one of our uh, good friends of the ministry, Brandon, was on a telephone in an office that I could overhear uh, just the uh, tenor and verve of his discussion. And he was, I thought he was arguing with his wife or something. He was going nuts on the phone. Ah, and they're just going back and forth. We'll come to find out Brandon had a call from someone who watches the program in, I think, North or South Carolina uh, by the name of Marcus B., who is LDS. I got a call from Brandon today telling me that Marcus B. gave his life to the Lord over the phone with Brandon today um, as a result of his searching. And so we know this is happening in different places, but I heard firsthand uh, how this started and now how it's ended, and we praise God for that. There's a new blog that has hit the web, and I think it's going to do some uh, great good. Check it out. There should be a graphic on the screen, welovemormons.blogspot.com. They're going to be taking information from different LDS sources, uh, for instance, like from lesson manuals, saying this is what the lesson teaches, but let us tell you what the Bible says. So another resource for you to go to if you're LDS and just kind of, you can hear what they're telling you on Sunday, and then you can go to this blog spot, and you can, uh, this website, welovemormons.blogspot.com, and you can see what the Bible says and see what you believe. So I think that's exciting. All right, listen up. I think this is a very important event in the history of our ministry. Out there in the fray of the Mormon Christian dialogue is an extremely adept and capable man. His name is John Dellen. Uh, Amidst a rather amazing list of academic accomplishments and uh, professional experiences, John does some of the best work out there in exploring Mormonism 
from within the church. He's kind and fair, but he's not afraid of the facts, uh, nor balancing uh, facts with spiritual reason. Oh, and John Dellen is LDS. Now, this Thursday evening, John has asked to interview me, and I consider it an honor because where most LDS faithful pretty much just want to hate me, uh, John seeks to want to hear me first. Uh, he might hate me later, but uh, nevertheless, he's uh, ex- is accepting questions at one of his websites. And if you have questions that you want John to present me with, if you're LDS or Christian or non-believer or whatever, go to www.mormonstories.org. You got that? Mormonstories.org. And if there's something you'd like to confront me with or question or say, whatever, you go to that, submit it to John. And then on Thursday night, we're going to sit down. And it, it, he has a, quite a large LDS following all over the nation, maybe even the world, who listen to his uh, uh, stuff. And he's interviewed many notable LDS uh, apologists and historians and leaders, things like that. But uh, they're going to film this one, so that's going to end up on his blog as well. So I'll let you know in the future about the interview and how you can observe and listen to it if you'd like. And with that, let's have a prayer. God in heaven, uh, we need you, I need you, and uh, we all need you in our lives. We pray that you will be with us and you will uh, help us to see and hear truth. Bless our audience uh, here and in television land and wherever else people view the programs. Bless our staff and uh, the technical difficulties that come with television production. And we pray that we'll just be able to present this message that would be uh, honorable to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So tonight we enter into... Can someone turn the air on? I think I'm dying of heat. Uh, Tonight we enter into the bees of this year's Bible topics through Mormonism and our first B subject of the night, uh, baptism. Now, it's actually one of the more difficult um, topics that we're going to discuss this year because what the Bible says about water baptism is often misunderstood by uh, many people, many Christians, many denominations, And it really takes an in-depth study of God's word to be able to ferret out and understand all the passages that refer to it and what they mean. Generally speaking, um, there are two main views regarding water baptism in the vast arena of doctrinal disputes. The first, a person must be baptized in water to be saved. And the second uh, position is that Water baptism is not essential to being saved. So where the Anglicans and the Apostolic Brethren and the Christadelphians and the Jehovah's Witnesses, Oneness Pentecostals, Church of Christ, Revivalists, Roman Catholics, and a number of other faiths join with the LDS belief that baptism is required for salvation, Baptists, the Disciples of Christ, Anabaptists, Lutherans, Methodists, Wesleyans, Pentecostals, Presbyterians, Seventh-day Adventists, and the very broad category of non-denominational born-again Christians say that it's not. One thing is certain, it's very ignorant for someone to take a single verse from the Bible and try and prove their pet position. Controversial as it may be, let me share my personal take on the debate before we examine the biblical perspective. If someone claims they follow love 
and uh, believe in Jesus and the early church that was set up, they would want to joyfully embrace water baptism. But if someone misses the opportunity to be water baptized in this life, it is irrelevant to their standing with God in the hereafter. I think scripture supports this. Now, what does water baptism mean to a Christian? Why was Jesus baptized? I'm going to go into some things, and it's, if you stay with me, I think it will be beneficial, but I think it's important to, to go about it this way. And I want to try to lay it out plainly of uh, the biblical view of water baptism by building a case as to why it's not viewed correctly by those who say it is essential to salvation. Uh, taken uh, exegetically and contextually, the purpose and meaning of water baptism is quite clear once everything has been considered. Um, in almost every LDS building, you will find a picture of Jesus uh, in the water, the River Jordan, with John the Baptist baptizing him. And this is like the model that is always used. Jesus was baptized by John the Baptist. And so I want to talk about John the Baptist for a minute right now. What's up with that cool guy? What was he doing? Well, a number of things. First, John the Baptist was sent to prepare a way for the house of Israel to meet its king. All right. In Malachi 3.1, God said, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. Okay. And he came calling the kingdom of Israel to repent and to prepare themselves to accept their king. His was a baptism of repentance. Remember that. And he was preparing the Jews of Israel to repent of their failures under the law and to receive their king with new hearts and minds as he was coming. And what method did John the Baptist use to persuade them to repent and be prepared for their king? Water baptism. Now, remember, why was this water baptism? Remember who John the Baptist was dealing with, the Jews, a group of people who had thousands of years of history behind them in cleansings and uh, ablutions and uh, washings and uh, even uh, baptisms. Uh, and these rituals were uh, symbolic of cleansing. Symbolic of cleansing what? Symbolic of cleansing sin. That's what these ritual uh, cleansings were. In Ezekiel 36, 25, God says, listen, then I will sprinkle clean water on you and you shall be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart and will put a new spirit within you. I will take the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will keep my judgments and do them. All the water and washings were emblematic of the, this washing away of sin, which ultimately came and comes by the blood of Christ and by the Holy Spirit, not water. Remember, it's the Holy Spirit that does the cleansing in a Christian's life and the, and the blood of Christ, not water. And the Holy Spirit was not given by John. The Holy Spirit was given by the one he was preparing the way to come. Remember what John said to the Jews. He said, 
I indeed baptize you with water, he said, unto repentance. But, he said, he that comes after me is mightier than I, uh, whose shoes I'm not even worthy to latch it. He said, he shall baptize you. So he uses the same word, baptize you, with the Holy Ghost and with fire. So there was a, the use of the word baptism for the water unto repentance. That's John the Baptist doing this for Jesus and the others who were converting. And then there's the baptism of fire, which the one who was far mightier than John was going to bring. That's the thing that brings the purification of the person. This was the whole event John was preparing for the kingdom of Israel for. Um, the baptism of the Holy Spirit to be born again. And this came by and through Jesus Christ. Now, these cleansing rituals, the nation of Israel were so familiar with because they were especially pertinent to their priests and the temple. You see, at first, um, way before the law of Moses was, get, Moses was given, um, every man was his own priest. Did you know that? That every individual man before the law of Moses was his own priest and he offered his own sacrifices to God. Okay, and then later on, the office of priest was devoted to um, the head of a family, as in the case of Noah and Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Job. All of them were made the priests over their family. Before they were their own priests, now they were priests over their whole family. Then, once the law of Moses was given, God designated only men from the tribe of Levi to be his priests, and specifically only those from Levi's son, Aaron. All right, but at the end of all this, at the end, all this is looking forward to, to who? To Jesus coming. And all these priesthood appellations were only temporary, temporarily in place. And they looked for the time when the, high, the true high priest would come. And he, by the shedding of his own blood, instead of the shedding the blood of animals, would enter into God's presence after his shed blood was done once and for all, uh, with his eternal offering. That's how the priest thing worked. So when John the Baptist began his prophetic mission to prepare the way for Jesus, he was calling all of Israel to repent and prepare themselves for the king's coming. And there was no more symbolic method to prepare these people than an act that was tied to the washing that they were so accustomed to. And in fact, that the fact that Gentiles who wanted to become Jews were also baptized by immersion into, that, uh, into the Jewish uh, religion, so to speak. That's how Gentiles came in too. So this all was preparatory for what Jesus was going to do. Now understand, this specific water baptism that John performed has nothing to do with us who have faith in Jesus and have become recipients of his grace. Now that's a bold statement to make. It was a completely different baptism and it had a completely different purpose than baptism has for us. The Bible speaks of all sorts of baptisms. Some of the baptisms are wet. Some of the baptisms are dry. Some baptisms in the Bible are moist. Yeah, and are done by steam or mist from the ocean. Some are uh, baptisms of spirit. Some are baptisms of suffering. Some are baptisms of fire. 
So why was Jesus baptized by John the Baptist? Mormonism makes it seem like Jesus was baptized to show the world that they had to be baptized too, uh, as a means to uh, righteousness and as a means to become a member of his church. This is such a simplistic manipulation of the real event. Remember, John's baptism was not a Christian baptism, nor were the water baptisms Jesus' disciples did while Jesus was alive. They weren't Christian baptisms. These were baptisms unto repentance for the house of Israel. Listen closely. There was no Christianity when Jesus was alive. Now, I know that I know we could tease that apart and, and claim there is, but there really wasn't in terms of the first Christians weren't called Christians till Antioch far later. And, there, and no body of Christ was established because the body of Christ was with us. All right. There was no Christian baptism until after his death and resurrection and ascension as the New Testament, Testament economy did not even exist until after that. John's baptism bound its subjects to repentance relative to the law and the coming Messiah, not to faith in Christ the symbol of being, and the symbol of being buried with him as a result of that faith. To support this, remember that John's baptism was not administered in the name of the Father or the Son, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. It was a water baptism unto repentance. It wasn't in the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And, and this is really important, remember that all the baptisms that John performed in his ministry, Paul rebaptized all those people according to Acts 18.24 and 19.7. Um, so with the Christian emblem of their baptism coming now by faith in him who had ascended. Are you starting to get the biblical picture of the baptism that John performed uh, and how the purposes behind it are not necessarily tied directly to why we are baptized today. Now, oh, sorry, I'm losing it one more time. There are a number of very important reasons why Jesus was baptized, but obviously it was not for a remission of sin or as an act of repentance. So let me ask you a question. What was the initiatory ordinance for the Mosaic dispensation? Okay. It was the old snippy snippy. It was circumcision. That was the initiatory ordinance for the Mosaic dispensation. Okay. And just as Christ was submitted to circumcision, which was the initiatory ordinance for the Mosaic dispensation, it was necessary that he would submit himself to the initiatory ordinance of the dispensation of grace and truth. Baptism, water baptism. Christ was circumcised and observed all other ordinances of the law of Moses, but not with a view to his own justification, but to fulfill the dispensation committed to him by God. Sometimes when people ask, well, why was Jesus baptized if it wasn't uh, necessary to salvation? I say, well, why was he circumcised? Was circumcision mandatory uh, uh, for salvation for Jesus? Was circumcision mandatory for the Jews? Did a Jew go to Sheol? Uh, if he died and had not been circumcised, there's no writing of that, not at all. So then uh, is baptism necessary to Jesus? No. Or Christians today? No. Okay. Circumcision was best understood as an ordinance of identity, 
which in and of itself had no power or ability to actually take a person and make them part of the house of Israel. Um, a pagan could go out and grab a rock and circumcise himself and it would not make him pleasing to God. It was his faith in the true and living God that did it. In the same way, in the Christian economy, the rite of water baptism is to be seen in the same light. It's a means for believers to be identified with Christ as Christians. The problem is organized religions have taken the beauty and power of baptism and applied it and its power uh, and used it for their own benefit, not for the benefit of the believer and his or her life, some religions. They act as if baptism actually cleanses sin or that it makes a person a member of the body of Christ. And through this perfunctory approach, they strip its true meaning for people who believe in Christ. Let me ask you something. How many people, answer this, how many people do you think have been baptized with water who are not in any way, shape, or form Christian? Okay, you know the answer to that. Many, many people have been baptized who don't have anything to do with Christ, okay? But let me ask you another question. How many people have been baptized by the Holy Spirit who have been saved? Let me answer that. Every one of them. Every single one of them. If you have the Holy Spirit dwelling within you, you have been saved. So that is the true baptism that we look to. The baptism of the Holy Spirit, which, where the Holy Spirit lives within us and then begins to sanctify us. The baptism of water, there are plenty of people who uh, experience that, but are not saved. I mean, the LDS baptized children when they're eight years of age. Uh, and, and this makes that whole thing become perfunctory. Well, I was baptized. It has no meaning. Now, Jesus was also baptized for other necessary and important reasons. The book of Hebrews tells us plainly, as I mentioned, that Jesus is our final and true high priest. And he will be this high priest forever and ever. And as the, every high priest was initiated into this office by uh, uh, washing and anointing, uh, so was Christ. He was baptized, washed. He was anointed by what? The Holy Spirit that descended like a dove. So by this, he fulfilled the righteous uh, ordinance of his initiation into this office of final and high priest. And thus he was prepared to make a full and final satisfaction once and for all for the sins of mankind. And it was in this respect that Jesus fulfilled all righteousness, not because that baptism he was showing you must do it. Now, I'm going to get to what I think of it in a second. In another respect, Jesus was baptized as a means to fulfill prophecy. Listen to this closely. Jesus not only let John the Baptist baptize him to put an end to the Mosaic dispensation and open up the Christian dispensation of grace, he at the same time affirmed John's prophetic call by allowing him to baptize him as recorded in Malachi. Remember, it says, Behold, I will send my messenger and he shall prepare the way before me. In the Gospel of John, John the Beloved, not John the Baptist, the Beloved, he tells the story of how Jesus, when Jesus and John the Baptist met. All right, and it says, listen to this, it's in, in John um, 1.29. The next day, John sees Jesus coming to him and said, Behold the Lamb of God, which taketh away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me cometh a man which is preferred before me, for he was before me. And I knew him not, but that he should be made manifest to Israel. Therefore, John the Baptist says, I am come baptizing with water. 
And John bare record saying, I saw the spirit descending from heaven uh, like a dove and it abode upon him and I knew him not. And then he says, but he talking about God, but he that sent me to baptize with water, the same said to me, unto whom thou shalt see the spirit descending and remaining on him, the same is he which will baptize with the Holy Ghost. And I saw and bear record, and this is the Son of God. When John baptized the Lord, God, or the one who sent John out to baptize, told him that when you see the Spirit descending and remaining on a certain man, that this is the one who will be baptizing with the Holy Spirit, which is what brings men and women to God. In other words, God told John the Baptist to look for the sign of the Holy Ghost descending on someone, and when you do, you will know that that man is the Messiah. And what would that Messiah do? He would baptize with the Holy Spirit, which is what spiritual rebirth is and which is what we have to experience if we ever want to see the kingdom of God. Bottom line, Jesus being baptized has nothing to do with a mandatory element of your salvation as the LDS uh, attempt to imply. In Mormonism, baptism is not only requisite to enter the celestial kingdom, uh, it's tantamount to being born again. I'm not going to cover this aspect of the LDS view of being born again because we're going to cover born again on show 10, and that's in a few weeks from now. We'll discuss it. But nevertheless, to the LDS, official water baptism, which can only come by an LDS priesthood holder and receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost, which can only come by an LDS priesthood holder, this is what Latter-day Saints say it means to be born again. So in essence, they say every eight-year-old who um, is a member, who becomes a member of the church through baptism and then receives this gift of the Holy Ghost that they give them at the age of eight, that is a born-again person. That's their view of it. We'll talk more about that in a few weeks to come. So now what is water baptism in the Christian dispensation? We'll wrap up in the next few minutes with this. The words baptize and baptism are simple Greek words. They're Greek words, totally. They're not American English, uh, King's English. They are Greek words, baptism, baptizo, baptizo. And they have no English meaning, or they had no English meaning, until someone learned to read Greek, all right? And this was done by the translators of Scripture, and no literal translation really expresses all that is implied in that Greek term. The mode of baptism, you know, dipping and sprinkling and washing or uh, immersion can in no way be determined from the Greek word rendered baptize. Baptizo means to dip a thing into an element of liquid or to put an element of liquid over something. That's what the the industrial term means. It, It was an industrial term for dyeing fabric, which lends to the idea of baptism being more for identification. This is a blue shirt. It was baptizoed and it was uh, blue. And that gives it its identity. So with baptism for the Christian believer, you receive identity through that, just like the Jews did with circumcision. The word has wide latitude of meaning and is applied in the Septuagint. That's the Greek translation of the Hebrew Old Testament. The Greek translation of the uh, Hebrew uh, Old Testament uses baptizo all through it. All right, and they use it for sprinklings, they use it for washings, they use it for pourings, they use it for dippings. In the New Testament, there's not one single well-documented instance of the occurrence where it necessarily means immersion, okay? 
And none of these instances of baptism, of the instances of baptisms recorded in the uh, book of Acts, favors the notion that it was a specific form of water application. However, it does seem based on Paul's example of what baptism means, that immersion is the best uh, way to symbolize being buried with Christ and being raised back up into new life. Also of being in, uh, fully immersed in the womb, new birth and coming up. Those applications automatically lend to the idea that immersion is the way. Also the gospel and its elements are designed for all people all over the whole world. So it would be very difficult for somebody who believes in Christ by virtue of reading scripture, the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they live in the Arctic Circle or they live in the Sudan where there's not enough water to baptize by immersion. Um, a person who loves Jesus and those would then probably have to go to the splash or dunk or pour or some method. It's the faith in the baptism, not the necessary, uh, the, the mode itself. Mormonism would have you believe otherwise because it wants to come between you and God. It says, we have the authority to baptize. We have the authority to give a man the Holy Spirit and it has to be done by immersion or it's not authentic. And if it isn't done by those, with those three factors in place, you don't get to go to heaven. Okay? And that's completely antithetical to what the Bible says about what it takes to be saved. Believe. Confess with your mouth. Believe. Have faith in Jesus and you will be saved. Okay? Uh, baptism and the Lord's Supper are two symbolic ordinances in the New Testament which serve as a blessing to us to remind us, bring to memory of Christ, and for us to identify with him. The supper represents the work of Christ. The baptism is the work of the spirit unto new life. We take communion because, because we believe and because we have been saved by his blood, not to believe or to be saved by his blood. We are baptized because we believe and have been saved by his blood. We don't get baptized to believe and to be saved by his blood. To the Christians, water baptism is an outward public pronouncement of an inward faith. Symbolic that we are willing to be buried with Christ, thus turning our back on the former things of the world and being raised into new life. And I believe that baptism personally, I believe that this is the public profession of faith. In the 1800s, it became going forth and an altar call and being saved. And they said, well, that's the public profession. And I disagree with that. I think the true public profession is when you stand up and you get baptized in Jesus' name, showing the world that you now are uh, taking on his name and are a Christian. Really quickly, the best uh, verses to uh, support this uh, are all through the Bible, and I'm not going to go through them. But I want to say that when Peter stood up before the day of Pentecost, he said something. Uh, he said, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. Now the LDS take that verse and they say, you see, you have to repent. You have to be baptized in the name of Christ for the remission of sins. And then you receive the Holy Spirit. Good friend of mine uh, pointed out tonight, Rich, that in Acts chapter 10, we have the reverse order that the Holy Spirit came first and baptisms came later. So as far as an order, the Bible gives us both. God cannot be boxed. So the Jews all come before Peter and he's preaching to them and he says, men and brethren, what shall we do? He says, now I, I want you to change your minds. I want you to be baptized and uh, with regard to the Messiah and the law and be baptized for remission of your sins. The key to proper understanding of this verse is this. 
It says, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. The key is in the Greek. The Greek word for is ice, E-I-S. And it's a preposition that can indicate causality or it is a resultant preposition, meaning because of. So let's read this verse with the prepositional sense of causality. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, in order to get the remission of your sin. That's the causality preposition of ice, all right? Now let's read it with the preposition being resultant. Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, because you have received the remission of sin. Guess what? Acts 2.38, the prepositional sense is resultant. That it should read, repent and be uh, baptized because you've had your sins remitted. Okay, and that is the, praise God, that is the purpose of baptism in the Christian world. That we come to faith, the Holy Spirit tells us, Jesus is Lord, King. I want to be baptized. We're baptized as a symbol of our obedience and dedication. It can be, it's a public thing usually. It can be embarrassing. You don't look so good coming out of that water. And you come back up and you say, I don't care how I look. This is because I love the Lord and he's asked me to do it. Baptism is not an act that we take to get into heaven. It is a directive like taking communion, which is a gift from God to man. Some religions want you to believe that you have to do it with their baptism, their way. And that is just certainly not true. Uh, baptism nor communion get you to heaven in any way. We must believe on him who God sent to save us from sin. And certainly, certainly baptism will believe. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. LDS callers, we would love you. First time callers, please. We're going to come Austin and Aurora, Utah, Tina in West Jordan, Utah, Mike in Salt Lake City, Utah, and Shane in West Valley, Utah. Lots of LDS callers, so that's excellent. And listen, um, we're going to show you a spot and come back and take your call. See you in a minute. watching Heart of the Matter, a live weekly television program right here from the Mecca of Mormonism. We've been on the air for almost four years now. Now, we're a tax-exempt corporation, and we survive solely on your financial support. There are two ways that you can uh, help support this ministry financially, through the mail or through the internet. Now, some people give as they can. And everything is a great blessing to us. We are so grateful for the support people have given over the years. We also invite anyone inclined to join with us in this fruitful ministry by becoming a partner. And this simply means you're in a position to contribute a certain amount annually, which greatly helps us with our planning. Be our friend, become our partner, but we do need your support if you're so inclined of the Lord and you have already given to the church. For more information, call 888-868-HOTM or 888-868-4686. 
write to us at 314 South Redwood Road, Salt Lake City, 84104, or get on the internet, www.hotm.tv, for more information. God bless you all. We appreciate all you do. Uh, thank you for your support in whatever way it comes. Listen, we uh, have an anonymous wants to know if there are 12 or 24 apostles. And what he's speaking of is the Book of Mormon has 12 apostles too uh, that are going on. And so while I believe at the same time that there were apostles in the New Land. So uh, I guess it depends on what you believe. Maybe there was 24 if you're LDS. All right, we're going to Austin in Aurora, Utah. He's a first-time caller and he is LDS. Austin, you're on the show. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. You're on the air. Right now? Right now. All right. Sounds good. Hey, my question's in regards to a Newsweek article about two years ago entitled Our Mutual Joy by Lisa Miller. It's, it was titled it talks, what? It, sorry, go ahead. It was titled it what? It talks about um, the opponents of gay marriage often cite scripture. But what the Bible teaches about love argues for the other side. Now, in the New Testament, Jesus was unmarried and preached an indifference to earthly attachments, such as family. I just want to know, like, what your thoughts on all this is. Uh, my thought is that um, uh, Jesus uh, did teach love, but he also taught uh, righteousness and following him. And he definitely supported and taught uh, how things were from the beginning, which was God created Adam and Eve. And so he, he always stood and quoted from a scripture. While we don't have a record of him quoting specific scriptures that prohibit homosexuality, uh, because uh, someone says homosexuality is, is not uh, uh, correct and is a sin, does not in any way, shape, or form mean that they're not loved. It, in fact, by someone saying, I think God believes or not I think, God believes that homosexuality is a sin, that's a way of loving them and letting them know. But let me also tell you this, Austin, I think that uh, sometimes we've made a mistake in the body of Christ in trying to focus and point out homosexuality as the paramount sin. I think that homosexuals have other sins too. They lie and they cheat and they do other things just like heterosexuals. The problem is we all fall under sin. So, uh, I don't think it's uh, right or just for people to try to qualify their sin and say it's not sin. I think it's okay for someone to say homosexuality is a sin. Now come to church, learn about Jesus and see what he has to do with your lifestyle. And uh, so that's my position. That's what I think the Bible teaches. And that's where I think love and truth uh, uh, kind of meet. Does that All help? Right. Thank you. You're welcome, my friend. Thanks for the call. Yep, have a good night. Okay, you too. Bye-bye. All right, we're going to Mike in Salt Lake City. Uh, second time caller, he's LDS. Mike, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hi, Sean. Hi. Thank you for taking my call. You're, you're welcome. Yes. Uh, I'm LDS on record. Um, I was baptized Catholic about four years ago. Um, I, uh, I wanted my mom's blessing uh, to go ahead with that, and... Uh, she she was all um, all for that. She uh, um, did ask me to uh, promise to keep my records on the my uh, my name on the church records, LDS church records. So, Mike, what's your question? Uh, anyway, uh, I appreciate your accuracy. Uh, you do a, you're a good work there. Um, 
I just want to clarify something. I, I welcome your uh, willingness to uh, have people uh, offer corrections when needed. Um, baptism by uh, um, water is not um, the only way a person can be baptized uh, in the Roman Catholic Church. There are other, there are other um, valid uh, what, what other valid baptism is there if it's not done by water in the Catholic Church? Baptism by desire. Oh, yeah. And blood. Oh, yeah. I remember that baptism by desire. Yes. That, that's, that's kind of unique. Yeah. Yeah, I like that. Thank yeah. you for that clarification. And, and I want to I make another comment. Yeah. What would help your ministry more is if, if you could uh, say on a regular basis to the LDS listeners, uh, don't believe a word you say. Check it out for yourself, you know? Okay. Um, a lot of people, because you're saying some accurate but ridiculous things. Yeah. And automatically they're going to um, turn that off and discard it as just air. Yeah. But, you know, if if you, uh, if if they know that, um, if they know not to believe everything you say, but to check it out, go yeah. to the source. Okay. And I, th I think that would help your ministry more. I'll take that into account, my friend. And God bless you. God bless you, Mike. Good thanks thanks Thank for you. the call. Okay, bye. We're going to Shane in West Valley City, first time caller, LDS. Shane, you're on Heart of the Matter. Yeah. You, gotta you gotta turn your TV down, Shane. Yeah, I remember that Hello. Shane, turn your, turn your TV down. It's down. Okay, you're on the air. Hey, uh, I just was wondering, Joseph Smith um, coveted many wives, but it says that Moses taught that committing adultery was wrong, and Jesus said committing adultery was wrong. So that's kind of a doc, uh, contradiction towards the Mormon church. Yeah, it, it would be. Uh, Joseph Smith, he testified to his uh, accusers that he never committed adultery. The way he justified that is that he married or had himself married to the women that he had the uh, relationships with. Kind of made me wonder. But then I would, went back in the, in the Old Testament. I could be wrong, but King David was a prophet of God, and he sent a man out, a man out to battle, which was married so that he could die that would covet his wife. Yeah. So that he covet his wife. So... I was just kind of confused about that. Well, uh, in, the, in the Old Testament, uh, God allowed them to uh, practice polygamy, but he never commanded it. His way was one wife, one man, and, uh, but the men decided to take things into their own hands, and God allowed them to. We know from the Old Testament that it always ended in misery. It certainly was a practice, but it always ended in misery and dysfunction. And uh, so all we can say is that now the Old Testament David and them did not have the Holy Spirit abiding in them. They had the Holy Spirit abiding around them, leading them at times, but not in them because they weren't purified by the blood of Christ. Now believers, true believers, have the Holy Spirit within them, and therefore they know that polygamy is not of the Lord. And so you, there's, a, there's a difference between the Christian economy and the Old Testament one. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah. I hope that helps. All right, my John. Hey, have a good night, Shane. 
All right, you too. Okay, bye. We have Boyd in Lehigh, and we have Tina in West Jordan. Just a minute. Uh, Troy wrote, 12 apostles' names are on the wall of the new city. Matthias replaced Judas, so it is not Paul's name as one of the 12. This is his remark that I'm wrong about Paul. Uh, I, this is just what I believe, and I, I get this from uh, some very astute scholars, which I am not, and that is that prior to receiving the gift of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, Peter, impetuous Peter, decided, hey, we got to replace Judas. Let's pray and let's cast lots and pick somebody who's been around. And they did that and they picked Matthias. Now, how much uh, has, did Matthias contribute to the ministry? Well, we don't really know, but he didn't contribute anything like Paul did. And God then chose Paul as the apostle and Peter and the other apostles embraced Paul as an apostle. So uh, I would have to say that... Um, that Jesus told the apostles to wait for the spirit to come and they, they didn't, they made an action then. And uh, you know, and that's the beautiful thing about the Bible. It shows men's failures. It doesn't write a perfectly clean book and not everybody's a Nephi walking around in the, in the Bible. And so I, I love that about it. And, and I believe that is the case. Um, he also says that various verses explain that there are other apostles besides the 12 apostles He's talking about Barnabas and a few others who are called apostles. So how do you resolve this contradiction in your beliefs? Uh, this is a Christian man. I don't believe it's a contradiction because I believe that there's the office of apostle and then there is the, the, uh, uh, the calling, the spiritual calling of being an apostle. I believe there are apostles today and I think the word apostle generally applied to people can work. You were sent to do something. And we gave examples of how that word was used in the scripture uh, two weeks ago. So I hope that answers your question. Uh, Troy, or who thinks he is, by the way, an apostle. Um, we are going to Boyd in Lehigh. Boyd, you're on Heart of the Matter. Hello, Sean. Hi, Boyd. How you doing? Doing you're well. Beautiful tonight. You're very beautiful tonight. I, I'm so excited the meeting you're going to be having. Uh, but well, thank you. The question is on baptism you're talking about. Do you not do baptisms in your organization? Uh, you know, we do baptisms every year. We do one in the summer, open water baptism, never denominational. And we do a baptism at Burning Heart. And that's where we have this little plastic pool and we do baptisms there. And it's a great time. And who, and who, who has the authority or who does the baptism? I usually do all the baptisms, yeah. Okay. And my well, authority my comes by virtue of my faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Well, I, I believe that, you know. Yeah. I believe in the beginning God created everything in its entirety, okay? And then from then on, all the things have been in the hands of men, even writing up to the writing of the Bibles all the way through all religions up to our day. Well, Christ came back to put things straight again, to take it out of the hands of men and put it back the way God created it. So all these things, arguments, are, oh, not whether arguments, it talks about churches, Bibles, books, Mormon, Torahs, Korans, are all came from the hands of men. That were, you're just reading hand-me-downs, okay? But so what what, what, how do you obtain your truth, beginning. Boyd? Where do yeah. you, how do you obtain truth? Truth is, is, truth is this, nature. Oh, you mean like lions ripping off the heads of zebras? Nature is truth, okay? Explain God what you mean, explain what you mean by that. The, in the beginning, God created the truth, everything, okay? And he was well pleased. From that moment on, everything, the story of men comes down to all the things right up to your talking today. Yeah. It's all hand-me-downs, everybody talking, everybody authorities, all these things. So what you're but saying is a hand-me-down, too. But, but the Holy Ghost is the most important thing, okay? But, you, but wait a second. 
The Holy Spirit's the most important thing. The Holy, the Holy Ghost. Didn't the Holy Spirit? Didn't the Holy you Spirit? You were born with it, John. You were. I was born, born with, with the Holy Spirit. Dead. So then, the Bible you're saying is is irrelevant. The Bible is something that men wrote even after okay. after they're writing stories that people who lived and died. Okay, okay? Boyd. Boyd, listen. Yeah. In this dialogue, we are not going to get anywhere because you do not believe in the manual that I subscribe to. I grant you that liberty. I would yeah. sit there and be your friend. You're going to have to well, deal. Yeah. With, you're going to have to deal with that and how the Holy Spirit leads you to your truth. But I go by the manual. All right. Well, I go by what God gave me, not all these men. Yeah. Well, you know. Well, how can you tell what God gives you is different than what God gave David Koresh? Well, He gave us all the same thing. Look at your. That body. makes a lot of sense, Boyd. He gave you did your you body. Did, wait, okay. did you just hear my question? Yeah. What makes it different? What he gave you and Son of Sam in New York. What makes a difference between you and all these other religious people that took the people to death? The Word of God. Well, I'm talking about the Word of God. God, He created all in this entire okay. in the beginning. You, this is a this is circular reasoning, and you're stuck because you can't I'm not answer stuck my question. You can't, Boyd. You cannot you cannot answer my question about why your version of truth, by virtue of the Holy Spirit, is superior or different than David Koresh or or Johnstown murders or any of those. You cannot or tell yours, me. Or yours. But include yours there, too. No, mine is backed by the Holy, Go uh, the Holy Bible. Oh, you say that. But, Sean, many times I don't see the Holy Ghost on you on that show. The Holy Bible. Well, I look for the Holy Ghost in people, the Spirit. You know, there's a beautiful thing about religions. They all have their goods. Yeah, they sure do. This is a great philosophical you know? discussion, Boyd, but it's off topic. I'm not going to have it with someone who doesn't believe in God's word. These guys gave their lives for it. <laughs> hey, God's it's, word is you know, wait, Boyd, Bible, Boyd, your rhetoric is just like it's like jangling. It's empty to me. Kind of, kind of I've listened to the philosophers. It's empty stuff. You have to realize you're like all the other Go, creatures. You know what? Whatever you want to say. I may be yeah. like all the others. I'm not proud in that. But you're I'm, very intelligent, Sean. I'm very intelligent. Very intelligent. You know what, Boyd? If I'm so intelligent, maybe you ought to yourself. believe in the same book I do, okay? Well, you know what? you got anger, okay? Of course I have anger. I'm a, I'm a passionate, angry guy. That's the way I'm made. I can try to pretend that I'm not. I can well, try I to put on a false, thing. but that's how I am, Boyd, okay? And I work with it, all right? Okay, so you've so you got the authority to baptize and nobody else has, basically. No, I didn't, I've never said that. Why are well, you saying that? You didn't say it, but it's coming across. All right, Boyd, you've proven yourself a fool, and you're following after your own maker. All right? We'll see you later. We're done, Boyd. Boyd, we're done. All right, we're done. All right, we are going to Val in Midvale. He's a first-time caller. Uh, Val, you're on Heart of the Matter. Val? Val? Val! He's got his TV on. Val, one more chance. Are you coming on? Nope. We're going to Tina in uh, West Jordan. Tina, you're on Heart of the Matter. How are you? Uh, I, <laughs> I guess I'm all right. How are you? How do I follow that? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> okay. Quickly, I'll ask you my question, and then I'll give you a little background, and then you can tell me what you think. Okay. Um. What is next, and how do I handle it with love, is my question. For the last eight months, I've been getting cards in the mail from Relief Society. I'm not active anymore for the last 41 years, 
or 31, sorry. And I've been throwing them in the garbage. And last week the missionaries came with with another guy. I don't know who he was. And as my husband saw him coming up, he said, Tina, the missionaries are coming. And I just opened the door and I said, hi, guys, I'm not interested in your church. And they was, uh, oh, you're not? Oh, okay. And then they left. We're sorry. And I said, it's okay, we're Christian. And then two days later, a neighbor came over who is a very nice man, LDS, um, to the fullest, and asked my husband if we had ever thought about baptizing our daughter, who will be 12 in April. And he said, no, not really. And then today, I got a card in the mail that was addressed to my daughter. And I just had a feeling that I should open it up. And I opened it up, and it was an invitation to the ward's beehives or something. So they went around us and went straight to her. And that really upset me. So, so when will it end, and how do you handle it in love? Yes. It will end when you take your name off the record of the church, when you tell your bishop you do not want to be contacted, DNC, do not contact on their ward records. Uh-huh. Uh, and it, handling it in love, that is going to be uh, based on your uh, relationship with uh, your fellow man and God, with God and your fellow man. And that's going to might take time or it might come uh, quickly, but that is going to come by virtue of his commandment to love others. You know what? Um, uh, Tina, uh, this is for the uh, whole audience. The, the body of Christ has not done a good job in following up on the sheep that go astray. The LDS, because it, is, uh, it is, uses totalistic methodologies to control their members, it is amazing how they follow up with people who don't come to sacrament meeting for a few weeks in a row. And if you move, they know where you've moved. They follow you. They send the missionaries constantly to get you back in there. And so I think the body of Christ can learn something of that. Pastors can learn something about setting up people to go to uh, people's homes who haven't been seen for a while and say, hey, how are you doing? You know, we've missed you. Where have you been? They call that home teaching and visiting teaching in in the LDS church. And you're having those things happen. But the only way it's going to stop for you is to take your name off the record of the church. You haven't Uh done that in the past 31 years. Maybe you should. Yeah, I'm really thinking about it. I think you should. Another question. Am I wrong for not baptizing her now? Because I, in my belief, I think that she should make that decision when she's an adult and can actually promise herself to the Lord and give herself to the Lord baptism, on her own. Baptism is not, a, is not joining a church. It's not a writer ritual we do it out of perfunctory mean, for, 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 for perfunctory purposes. Baptism is, it occurs because the Lord told us to do it. We believe on him and we are obedient to him. And that's why we get baptized. So I agree with you in terms of your daughter. Wait till she understands who Jesus is, what he wants her to do, and let her make that decision. Of course, you guide her and you teach her. But yes, I would let her make that decision and not force that upon her. Oh, thank you so much. You're welcome, Tina. Really good to talk to you. Okay. Okay. Bye-bye. Thank you. Uh, We got an email from Tammy. We'll be going to Bradley in a second. Uh, Tammy says, I watched your show today. I was really disappointed. I don't know what it made you leave the LDS church, yada, yada, yada. Why are you so bitter towards it? She said, obviously, you didn't ever have a strong 
enough testimony. And then she said, and this is what I want to talk about, your show gave me a yucky black feeling inside. Now, I believe this. I believe it did. And I believe that if you're a faithful Latter-day Saint and you run into a Christian and they start talking about the Bible and they start asking you questions about and they start to pin you down and pretty soon you say, I don't feel the spirit. I feel something bad here. I believe you truly do feel something bad. I believe you absolutely are encompassed by a dark, yucky feeling sent by a dark, yucky being who does not want you to hear the truth. You take that dark, yucky presence and say, it's because of this person I'm talking to. No, that person you're talking to is sharing truth with you. And you have been taught everything's feelings. And so Satan says, well, if everything's feelings, let me come to you and scare you a little bit and you'll never hear the truth. And so you don't. And so you come on a show like mine and you see me and you hear some things and you get those dark, yucky feelings. Why don't you just look for facts? Like someone said, Search it out and prove me wrong. You can hate my appearance and my style and my delivery. That's fine. You can not like me at all, but prove me wrong. Check those dark, yucky feelings because I'll tell you, God does not bring those. He's not bringing those to you. That's a dark side bringing them to you. And why would a dark side bring you dark, yucky feelings? To keep you in the dark. Consider that when you start saying this stuff about these feelings. All right, we are going to Val again in Midvale. Val, we've got one minute, my friend. Okay, last week uh, you mentioned about the atonement, uh, third article of faith, uh, and you mentioned all right after that works by works, but the third article of faith doesn't have works in it. I'm a first-time caller. Where did you get the word work? What's the, what's the third article of faith say? We believe that all mankind... We believe that through the atonement of Christ, uh, all, all man? mankind may be saved by obedience to the laws and ordinance of the gospel. Okay. And what? you, man- you linked it with work. Okay, what's, what is obedience to the laws and ordinances of the gospel entail? Okay, uh, that's what I needed a clarification on. Yeah, it, enta- it entails... Discre- I wasn't being... Dis- uh, no, it's okay, Val. It entails... Yeah. A, a whole bunch of works. When right. the LDS say you need to be obedient to the laws and ordinances of the gospel, that right. means everything from going to the temple to paying your tithing to right. Sabbath day to word of wisdom, everything they say, those okay. are the laws and ordinances of the gospel. Right, and you, I, you linked it with work, so that's, that's cool. I, I, now I, thank you for the clarification. You're welcome, my friend. I watch it all the time. Hey, God bless you, Val. God bless you there, Sean. Okay, we'll see you later. Bye-bye. All right. Listen, remember, go to www.mormonstories.org to submit your questions for my interview with John Dellen. And like we've said tonight, don't believe me. Uh, I think that was really good advice. The Word of God is there. Go to Him. Say, God, open my eyes. Open my heart. Show me your truth. That's all I want is your truth. Tell me what I'm seeing, and he'll do it for you. We'll see you next week here on Heart of the Matter. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my... I'm going to break my rusty cage and run. I'm going to break. I'm going to break my... Gonna break my rusty cage
Thank you.